Hi everyone, and welcome to the second series of Creativity Sucks, a podcast from Creative Review. This podcast offers a chance to take a look at some of the trends, challenges and joys faced by those working in advertising and design. I'm Eliza Williams, Creative Review's editor, and I'll be your host for this episode, where we will be tackling the question, are rebrands worth the money? Now, this is a deliberately provocative way of discussing logo design and how it is viewed by the design community and beyond. In my experience at Creative Review, nothing we cover causes as much passion and debate as logos and branding. People truly care about this work, which can be both wonderful and painful for the designers and brands producing it. To discuss this topic today, I'm joined by three brilliant guests. Marina Willer, partner at Pentagram London, Lisa Smith, global ECD at JKR in New York, and Adam Ricks, creative director at Not Wyden and Kennedy, the agency's newly formed design arm in London. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi. Hi. Hello. To kick us off, we're just going to sort of set the scene by where I feel like the design world of logos is at the moment. And at the moment, it feels like we're seeing masses of rebrands, both from big, major brands that we know, but also younger startups that are coming in with great or perhaps not so great uh, branding. And I just wanted to kick us off by discussing that. Why do you think this change is happening? And particularly right now, Marina, perhaps I could start with you. Hi. Yes, I think I've noticed that as well. And it's some it's been a subject of discussion with friends, designer friends. Um, I think that the obviously the digital world has allowed us to reach much more content. And there's many positive things, but there's also a lot of horrible things. And as part of the suite between the two, everything becomes a bit more discardable. And I think the feeling of brands, the way they are embraced, you're not applying that to signage to so much or to fix things. Companies come and go and brands come and go a lot of the times. But I do see change that is very unnecessary as well, to be honest. I think brands should reflect the vision of a company, the mission, and not change every time the branding director changes. I think if you create brands, they are participatory and are ever-changing and embracing change in their nature. It's much easier for them to continue existing. And sometimes I think they change simply because maybe even egos or there's an opportunity to do something else, I'll jump and do it. You know, we see timeless brands that have existed for over 20 years and they're still incredible. So I, I always think very hard before making a fundamental change to a design system or a name of a company. Indeed. Um, Adam, over to you. Do you think some of it's led by people joining companies rather than a need for the brand itself to change? I think it's always difficult to say from the outside, isn't it, um, why these changes are happening. Um, I think, you know, I agree with Marina that you know, change in kind of logos or branding in general, it feels like it needs to be with good reason. Some of this I wonder is because at Creative Review, obviously we get sent so much stuff, but it just feels like a whirlwind at the moment. Do you feel you're seeing that with the the clients that you're talking to, that more people are coming for this kind of work or is it just business as usual? Yeah, I think it's business as usual for us. Um, I just, yeah, sorry, I find it a little bit difficult to know why everybody is rebranding without knowing their kind of stories. Lisa, maybe let's come to you. What What are you noticing? Well, I think you have to think about there's been just 
so much change, hasn't there, the last few, few years in terms of like pre and post pandemic. I think we saw such a rise, I think Marina mentioned with digital. So like the rise of D2C was unbelievable. I've never seen anything. We were all shopping on our phones, buying probably rubbish that we didn't completely entirely need. But there was just such a, a behavior change. And I think, I, I know we're going to probably touch later on blanding and things like that, but it it was just like getting brands out there really quickly and you saw some really big brands also trying to get into that startup space and literally mimicking category codes that were happening there. And I think post-pandemic, I think I read somewhere last week that I think over 50% of the businesses in America are re-looking at their repositioning. So that's the amount of people that are like looking at their brands post-pandemic. And during the pandemic, I think you had like big brands like Kraft and things like that, that actually used that as a moment in time where suddenly there was a reinvested interest in their products and they invested in the pandemic in their brands, wanting to maintain the sort of like the opportunity that people were suddenly like loving mac and cheese again and back into their baked beans and whatever. And suddenly it's like, so they used it as an opportunity to modernize, whereas others were just like throwing stuff at the wall, literally by like putting brands out into the world really fast, really quickly. With that, when you think about from a logo standpoint, there was so much mimicking, so much kind of blanding, so much just really, really fast design that was happening. That was, I'm like, where are some of these brands now? They're sort of disappearing overnight because there was just such an influx and it's a lot to do with probably the times and the changes that we've all been in through. And I think, and sometimes that's good, isn't it? Because like innovations and other stuff happens, but there also seems to be a lot of crap that's happened too. It's true. I think I, I agree with everyone. And, and I think it's part of the picture that I, I meant. Everything's become much more fast changing and transient there's a bit of an identity crisis for everyone and how do we behave now and what's going on and the planet and all of that and hard to know on uh, is that what everything that's solid melts in the air kind of thing it, it's hard to know what is transient and what's not but I also do notice in, in a bit in the picture that Lisa was mentioning with lots of startups and brands that are really wanting to show that they're digital first there's a bit of a look everything looks very similar uh there's codes like you said that people then think they have to use or there's colors or there's type uh it's like our way and i know we cross paths a little bit with lisa and i'm sure you adam as well we try to find what's what's unique about an organization a product or a brand and really go deep into expressing that through the identity and the products and the, and the but not just oh let, now it's fashionable to do this now and and the, it all feels more transient than ever and similar sometimes I <laughs> look at a few I don't know companies not you guys in that sense but just thinking it's so you could it's so interchangeable you could put this brand for that and that there's a, a bit of a you know it, it's always happened with design but it feels that the speed of these things is even pushing for more of that uh, catching up, always catching up with what's on trend. And it takes the value of what we do when we do it really well. Uh, it takes a little bit of that uh, away, I think. I do think there's kind of an interesting balance to be struck between kind of recognition 
and relevance. I think probably a lot of the reason behind some of these rebrands is kind of, I guess one of the things we get asked an awful lot is, you know, to think digital first, don't we? And to think about improving a brand for digital performance. And I think that's kind of an interesting discussion on its own, because I think kind of coming back to Burberry's relaunch over the past few weeks and looking at an asset that probably, you know, the return of the charging night that, you know, at first glance looks anything but, you know, digital first and refined for digital actually looks absolutely amazing. It feels distinctive. It goes back into their archives. It feels true to them, to your point, Marina. And I think kind of pairing that with the art direction around it, that kind of typical Britishness, even bringing in a British sense of humour, it actually appeals pretty heavily to to Gen Z without having to follow those tropes that I think you guys are kind of alluding to, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I think one of the things that we find a lot, it's quite interesting being a branding and design studio within an advertising agency, because you get to see the other side of the coin, if you like. And obviously I'd never worked until in advertising until about 18 months ago. But you see what kind of happens when you know, you bring a brand identity guidelines in front of a creative director who wants to kind of stamp their ownership on a brand and their immediate feeling is to try and sort of resist and to try and move. And I think sometimes that is because I think we have all kind of built visual identities to be kind of maybe a little bit kind of quite rigid over time. And I think now that they need to appear across so many types of media, you know, um, social media, things like TikTok are here to stay. All brands are kind of embracing them. Um, I do feel like kind of visual identities need to strike that balance of being able to be relevant in culture, but also have that kind of timeless recognition that you talk about. And I think often for me, that comes from not changing the logo. It comes from kind of being able to adapt and update and flex everything around it and kind of have an intelligent system. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, that idea of the amount of places something has to sit now. Presumably that is coming up all the time with clients you're working with. I mean, Marina, would you say that is something that you feel is different now to say when you were doing, I don't know, the Tate? That had to flex in a range of different places, but obviously the online world and social media demands even more. Does that create new challenges, do you think, or is it an extension of what's always been there? I think it's new challenges, but it's interesting because you you can do what Adam was saying. You can try and look for the essence, like you mentioned, Burberry or or whatever. I think, you know, even when we're doing Rolls-Royce, for example, we went back to the DNA of the company to then find something. But then you have to make sure that whatever you create, whether it's touching on the logo or not, or is the system around it, I think I agree. We only change logos if you really need to, but it might be that you modernize them and you need to in a good way. I mean, it's going to make a difference, but, you know, the system around can do so much more. And it's the case with Burberry. But I think we always probably thought that it was a strange move when Burberry lost some of their heritage. So when it came back, it's like, yeah, it, it kind of, it was always going to happen, isn't it? It's interesting. Uh, someone might say the opposite, but I... Like you, I thought that was an interesting exercise and you can go back to the origins as well as move forwards. And, you know, the challenge is a good thing to make it digital first and work on so many levels. And also, I think we say everything is digital first, but there are differences. There are some brands that are much more about prestige and product and, you know, that's a world of its own, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Lisa, what are your experiences? I mean, obviously you've done huge uh, rebrands. Burger King is the one that immediately springs to mind for me. But uh, in terms of this, actually mixing a kind of heritage with something that works incredibly on digital. Talk a little bit about maybe that project, but also the need for something to stretch so far now. The biggest point is Logo can tell a story, but Logo not isn't a brand. And I think what everybody's talking about is the brand uh, identity, expression, world, what everyone calls them, something slightly different. And that can evolve over time with culture and different things. But generally, a Logo should probably stand the test of time if it can. And I think you have to approach it with extreme caution and care when you're touching a logo because I mean like for example Burger King or anything in retail and quick service restaurants like Burger King you're looking at an awful like like millions of dollars of signage for people to change so it's just like you really have to take into consideration when you're when you're like reappraising and looking at a brand and what you're going to be telling I think some logos are timeless some need to evolve um, some aren't fit for purpose and I think and some you know like need to entirely and need or like need to go back to what makes them great and I think Burger King was a great example of needing to go back to what they made them great there was a two things that happened there is one they had an identity that was very stuck in a specific era it was so there's sometimes identities aren't as timeless as we would all hope it was very 1999 <laughs> swooshes and 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 felt synthetic but at the same time, the business was removing all the artificial ingredients from their food and wanting to, people to reappraise the brand for something they might have more of a quality experience around. And I think kind of people didn't feel good about eating something that looked like it came from a synthetic brand, essentially. It was all about business shifts and signals that they needed to start to make. And of course, look, we did an explore of all logos and, and we found a study that from consumers of when they were asked to blind test, like, remember what Burger King's logo looked like? Everyone came back to that specific era. So there was something in culture and in consumers' hearts and minds about that brand that I think was really interesting. But if we didn't do a massive design explore, which we did, we looked at Burger King with a crown on and all different combinations. One of my designers drew what became the Favicon, which was kind of this little like BK combination. So I still think it's always worth exploring a spectrum, but it, the right thing was to do was the one that was most kind of famous. Most people remembered it. Yes, it got modernized and cleaned up and really about kind of putting the idea of craveability and food at the heart. So obviously it being a burger and then from everything else around it could tell the story, the colors with the Whopper and the flame grilling, the, the type felt juicy and delicious. So it was all about amplifying this level of craveability around their, their food. And even with that, like what we're with two years later, I've seen a lot of restaurants start to set, change more in Europe, but the franchisees and just the level of change, it's going to take anywhere up to like the next 10 years to start to see that brand completely catch up. And by that point, probably the expression will need to evolve of that, but hopefully the the identity will be something that will work and stand the test of time. I feel that the brand that springs to mind when you say that is Co-op in the UK, that we saw that rebrand happen on in terms of our coverage of it and in some appearances of it. But it's, you know, it, it does take years for, with these major stores or major 
brands to for it all to roll out. I was interested as well in what you were saying there, Lisa, about being really careful with logos. I wonder how much of your job as designers is sometimes saying, don't don't change it, don't go there. I mean, Adam, have you had that experience where maybe, and this goes back a bit to what you were saying, Marina, that you might have an enthusiastic new uh, head, you know, marketing director that wants to wants to get in there and shake shake it up and you have to sort of restrain that a bit or I mean how much does that actually come up I think it both it works both ways I can probably remember more difficult conversations about when we've thought a change is needed than when we've been trying to sort of tell people not to change but I think it's really interesting um that you brought up that co-op example the one that um I think it was north wasn't it a few years ago did um, because as someone kind of in Manchester, we saw the rollout of that um, pretty quickly. But again, when we're talking about reasons for businesses and brands to change their logo and those reasons being genuine, I think, you know, from memory, the co-op was in quite a bit of strife. I think their sort of senior management was kind of wrapped up in scandal. I, I think the, the logo was the North dug out from the archive. I sound like I only like logos that have come from archives here, don't I? After after mentioning um, the Burberry one, but I think it was from something like 1968, and I think it's become a bit of a Culp had become a bit of a toxic brand, kind of in you know enveloped in kind of um, the culture of the business as well as something really inconsistent and a bit dated. I think what they did there was really smart because. Um, they kind of looked back at a time when co-op was a part of every high street. It was a part of every community and they managed to kind of, obviously it wouldn't have worked for totally new audiences, but for a, a whole bunch of their audience, it kind of transported them into a moment of time where they felt really fondly about that business. So I think that was a, a bit of a masterstroke and also it's, it's a really good solution, but it's also a really good reason to change when, you know, your, your brand is ultimately tarnished. So that's a good moment to kind of signal change with the logo. I was also thinking as you were talking then and going back to the point that we had around, you know, brands needing to kind of keep up with the pace of culture, but also balance that kind of relevance and recognition point. And I think the, almost the less you change your logo, the more you can do that, I think, can't you? Or the more that your logo is based in the DNA of your brand. So Burger King was obviously a refreshed identity, but it was very much in their DNA, as you just described, Lisa. You know, you look at someone like Coca-Cola, who kind of have such an iconic logo that has obviously evolved over time, but in quite subtle ways, it kind of allows them to put almost anything around that. And, you know, have quite a varied and open and expressive kind of visual identity or system around it, at least in comps, that kind of allows them to keep pace with culture, which I think kind of almost means, yeah, the less you touch the logo, the more you can kind of be playful and expressive with the things around it. Yeah, I think it's a balance, really, like everyone's saying, of the identities should be more meaningful than just existing for a couple of years, but they need to constantly evolve. I think we just always investigate and interrogate what needs to stay and what needs to go. And if you are going back in history, it needs to be like the two examples of uh, that you mentioned, uh, going back to periods of glory of those companies. It's not just that you like the, the graphics. And I think they represent an era that, uh, and they, like you said, King, they represent perhaps the idea of less, you know, artificial, the, the the ingredients and so on. I think with our examples, I was just thinking when you're asking, when we worked with Amnesty and 
you know, the first thing I, I remember saying, or not, it's not rocket science, but you wouldn't change that candle symbol because it's irresponsible. It stands for so much and it's, it saves lives. You wouldn't, you know, or, or was with Tate's, I, I think it needed to represent something quite substantially different from the vision before, but we tried to create something that was always changing. So we keep and last, you know, for a very long time. And even if someone else came now and wanted to give a new take, it could keep going with that DNA. Um, so I think, yeah, there are also, for example, Rose Royce, there were elements that we thought you cannot touch like the monogram because of the value that has. Uh, but then there are other things that were badly drawn or abandoned in the way, like the examples you guys gave that we brought back, but redrew in a contemporary digital first, all of that sort of manner. So I think that's kind of the way we all work. And, and that to me is how you combine something about continuity as well as relevance, because you can't just for the sake of it, maintain things that don't mean anything anymore or project a vision that isn't there anymore. I completely agree with that. And I think, um, Formula One, obviously, it was done at Widen the Kennedy before my time, but I think that's kind of a perfect example of when a kind of a, a brand really needed to change, and a logo was again a really good signifier of that. I mean, with Formula One, you know, there they were kind of seen as being very stuffy, very kind of austere, very you had to be incredibly affluent to even you know attend a race. They had to appeal to a new younger audience, and they had to start you know. Um, coming to life on on social media more and i think yeah their audience was literally a dying breed and the logo although a kind of a beautiful design classic that you know me as an f1 fan at the time not working at widen kennedy was found quite hard to see go like you kind of really understood why it needed to change and kind of the success of that brand in capturing that kind of spirit of formula one and now kind of looks really at home i think was kind of fundamental to that yeah, those new audience being attracted to the sport. Totally. Adam, you touched on something there, which I feel like we could go on to, which is the passion that the audiences might have for the previous logos, <laughs> which uh, is presumably with these major brands is, is the massive risk, isn't it? Is how do you, how do you bring an audience with you? I think Lisa with uh, Burger King, that was possible perhaps in part because of what you were saying, because their previous logos did feel outdated and the new ones felt so fresh, even though they were uh, kind of heritage. But often, even when, when there is a beautiful new logo presented, people will push against it simply because of their attachment with the old one. And there is so much fierce debate. How much does that influence you when you're actually working on these projects? I mean, do you, do you, do you and the clients think about this kind of reveal points and and how that will be, or do you just you know do you put that aside and focus on the kind of core of the project? Marina, what's your experience been of that? Have you experienced the whirlwind of? It's funny because I've been quite lucky. I think our projects tend to be a little bit less mass. I was worried with Rose Rice, to be honest. But I watch um, my other half, my husband does a lot of sports brands, so Premier League, for example, and he collects these 
furious, you know, comments from, and he's he, he's even written a bit that was uh, learning to love hate because <laughs> because you get like people so angry and and it's normally sports and uh, the you know you change from this to that. How dare you? Also, there's always a confusion about you know how much brands cost, which is you know not understanding that you're working on a very you know, you're working sometimes for a year to change a really complex system. But i that's how I've experienced, I think. My projects are a little bit less um, visible in that sense, I think. So uh, I think the, the audiences are a little bit more warm to them already. They have a connection. So I've, I've been a bit protected from things like that. But it does, you know, I, I do, you know, we all have been <laughs> shouting at and, and uh, had, had our, yeah. Any funny kind of feedback here and there. I'm like Marina. I mean, Marina, you, you've worked at Wolf Hollands in the era where obviously the 2012 Olympics. And then I think the era that Wolf Hollands and rebranded the Metropolitan Museum of Art was probably one of the most traumatic experiences I've ever experienced. I had no idea how much people can hate and how much they can write articles in the New York Times, how much peers can have a go at each other as well, like very famous typographers. I like to think we're more respectful and open to each other's practices. And I was really upset and very offended by that, but it definitely made me grow thicker skin. But I think, Eliza, what you also asked was like, I don't think you can plan to launch a a rebrand, whether that's a, a switch overnight or a rollout, and you can be very methodical how you do it. You can try and help control the story but sometimes things you can't like 2012 olympics was launched on a piece of paper six years before it was launched without any story so then people make up a story and take it into their their own hands and we live in that where that that spreads really fast and and really quickly you know as much as you can help control it it's worth it to try and get kind of what the what the original intention was for but I definitely don't work on any projects and I don't probably think a lot of peers do thinking about how are we going to launch this brand we actually just work on the project and what is right for the client and the business and the consumers that are going to do it and it's all in service of that and the whole launch bit is the bit that comes after when you've been sweating it for Lily some projects like multiple years the bigger the brand probably the longer the the time yeah I feel like sometimes that part is the bit that gets missed in the launch and almost wonder whether the launch maybe needs to be taken more seriously in a way because I feel like sometimes what happens is I'm not saying it should influence how you design obviously but I mean in the sense that sometimes I feel like you'll see projects where a logo a logo will be released. There won't be anything else released. There'll be a logo sort of stuck out by the client and then it will go onto Twitter and, you know, the design community can be completely savage, but, you know, the public, if it's a brand that they care about, can be really savage. And I sometimes feel like there needs to, the story, for the sake of the the meaning of, you know, the depth of design that does go into these projects. I think sometimes what's missed, and that's why I called this episode about, are they worth the money? Because that's the kind of accusation often, isn't it? It's the accusation is that I, I, my child could have done that or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
we all know the phrases that can be used to sort of beat on design a bit. I sort of wonder if there's anything the design community can do to sort of help that process, or maybe it's just part of the deal that these things are a bit misunderstood. Adam, what do you think? Quite, yeah, there's quite a lot going on there, isn't there, in my head? I mean, I've been that guy, despite what I do for profession with Formula One. I didn't take to Twitter and I didn't attack anybody or hate anybody. Like, um, I just sat on my hands, didn't take to the keyboard. But, you know, I, even though I kind of understood what Formula One was doing, I was so attached to it as a sport. I just didn't like the change. And that's interesting that when somebody in the in the, um, in the the industry can kind of be hoodwinked like that, it just shows how emotionally attached we are. I think on the on the flip side of that, um, in a previous life, we didn't redesign a football crest, but we did work on the consultation around it. And, and that was kind of consulting with the public on a whole new level, because I think, I don't know, it would be hard to argue that there was much more in the world that people were more attached to than football crests. Maybe, maybe there is, but, you know, certainly if we look at the reaction online, I'm not sure there is. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe just in England. But, you know, we set up physical spaces with iPads to get people to vote on which elements of old crest they like, but also to make them kind of understand what the meaning was on some of those elements in the crest. Some of the things meant nothing, nothing at all. They were just just graphic. So, you know, I think different projects are, are really different. Some can go through kind of heavy research phases, can't they? Some of them we can talk to um, people. I think sometimes some businesses have such kind of certainty in their vision that they don't really, they know that they're going to upset people or they know that it's not about their existing audience. Like Formula One, they know it's about attracting a new audience. So they probably see less um, of, of relevance of kind of talking to existing audiences. But what, what can we do to help people understand the value? And I think that probably, hopefully nobody on this um, this conversation now, but I, I do think that the design Twitter in inverted commas does us no favours at all. I think the way that people almost, you know, some people that are even quite big figures in this industry, the way that they react to some of those things that you described that get leaked into the press and kind of the, the reactions kind of reinforce the view that these are surface level aesthetic exercises that cost a lot of money when we all know that they're not they're years you know if if not more that of, of kind of strategic processes and you know um, deep dives into the history of brands and I think when we all as an industry take to Twitter and fight with each other um, the minute we see something I think is a has a massive devaluing effect on the um, yeah how people interpret what we do. I think absolutely right and, and Lisa also talked um, I hadn't thought about but the you know with the Met I remember seeing the work that Lisa did and, and the various routes and how amazing they were uh, I was there at the time not in the same studio but and I think uh, people have no idea the processes we go through and the things that also the clients demand and then sometimes the Thing that ends up out there it might not be everything that you wanted it to be also, but also to get there, you had to do so much work. And I also get very disappointed when I see, I mean, I, I don't even go on Twitter anymore, but I do know that this stupidity of people, have, you know, like you said, some are big figures in design, like uh, doing <laughs> like from fake accounts or something, making angry like, why would you, I mean, why would you even have the time to do that? So I think if we don't help each other, it's not going to change because what we do is much more than 
logos and it's very complicated systems that have very strategic exercises uh, to you know develop before so it, it's really sad when he, he gets to that sort of behavior and i think i think some more mutual respect would help us uh, help people outside understand what we do whether we like that i mean i was at wolf Orleans, i wasn't involved uh, with the olympics but i would never go out and you know uh, uh, you know it's just you know the complexity of what went through to that job and 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 you know how brave it was to do what was done so i think that's that's the thing we always i always we know the behind the scenes is much more uh, complicated and, and rich and interesting and uh, challenging than uh, than it seems there's a lot of railing against blandness we've talked about it a little bit here but uh, you know there's a lot of sense that there's that there's too much sameness there's too many things that are similar and yet often if you do take a risk you, you know the 2012 olympics was a risk you know there was no doubt about that and it depending you know there's still many opinions about it but you know it, no one can really forget it right sometimes a contradiction there that if uh that you have to take a risk to kind of actually get all the talk and the attention but then you'll get the the flack as well we're slightly running out of time so i just wanted we can't do a podcast in 2023 without talking about ai um in some form and i feel like it's quite interesting in the context of this idea of, of blandness appearing i just wondered it's obviously, I would say, it's probably too early to know where AI is going to take design. But do you have, are you excited about that? Or are you worried that we may end up with even more sameness and and reproduction stuff? Uh, Lisa, what, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, I think AI is exciting, for sure. Like, I'm very embracing of, like, new technologies, experimenting, all of that. I've quite enjoyed seeing some of the things. But at the moment, I, I think what I'm seeing feels like, like more rubbish design that feels like meme culture, <laughs> essentially. So it's not like it doesn't feel yet like as sophisticated. I do believe there will be places where we'll see it transform certain things whether that's like AI film and and different places but I don't I think it's a tool I don't think it's going to replace the strategic thinking um, and ideas like human ideas that go behind uh, work in terms of how we're going to bring brands to life uh, like brand identities and and expressions to life it'll be one of those tools that might help visualize some of that but it, it still needs the human thinking behind it and in terms of it so I don't think it's uh I mean I could, maybe I'll be sitting here in a few years time eating my words and like we're all out of a job and that happened but uh it's cool I really wanted to be a have a sandwich shop that was my that's my second career I'm excited I'm kind of watching more than I am playing I played a little bit but it, from the sidelines I'm kind of more interested in what all the copyright infringement is and how all of that's going to play out because I think that is a problem for uh, of like for brands and distinctive assets and iconic elements that are uniquely ownable to that brand and if you start ripping that all apart that seems that there would just be in a whole world of homogeny. So I'm just a bit like uh, interested in that, but it's, it's exciting. I mean, I think it's always cool to see new things. There'll be a different thing next year, I'm sure. Adam, how about you? Um, what, what's AI? I haven't really heard anyone talking about it. 
It's it's interesting. I'm fascinated by it and also totally bored by it already. As in, like you know, um, when I scroll through Twitter, obviously I've muted all the all the design Twitter now with my previous comment. But I think, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? I, although I did see a tweet about it this morning, and someone was someone was suggesting that maybe the kind of onset of AI will mean that actually craft in what we do will be valued more, you know, um, which sounds relatively feasible, but I would choose to believe that because I would, I'm fearful for my job. Um, I was judging an award scheme recently and I do think, um, like Lisa says, it's a tool and I think there's this confusion that it's also an idea and I'm not sure it is yet. I think it's one of those tools that we will have at our disposal. But I would, I don't know, I would like to think that, you know, a lot of our work is kind of to do with empathy and probably trying to think the opposite of what others think or to sort of break convention. So although I only have a surface level understanding of AI, I would, I would hope that because it's kind of fed by human behaviour, um, that hopefully we've got a little bit of time left. But I agree with Lisa as well. The copyright issues are are fascinating. We had a talk by somebody in our Amsterdam office. And they would, there was a lot of discussion around the copyright issue because obviously a lot of these kind of AI systems kind of learn by being fed images, images from like directors of films or photographers. And, you know, how, how much of that output is manifested in the images that it produces at the end? It's it's going to be quite a complex and interesting area to watch. But yeah, excited too. Excited too. Yeah, I, f- I feel the same. I think completely. And in a way, the more we have the technical ability to do things through AI as a tool, the more the human talent uh, makes a difference, especially in the insights and the thinking and the idea and and uh it's a bit like the conductor of the orchestra you can't do without that and i think our job is to find those insights and then to use the tools in the best possible way if you delegate you get like a, it's a bit like chat gpt if you ask them that to write anything you get the blandest kind of <laughs> denominator <laughs> isn't it the common denominator of, of everything which is definitely not what we're doing I think with everything everything also becomes a trend but I think what we're talking about now with AI is is going to many more levels that we hadn't anticipated it's not you know it's not just a generative thing it's it's how much do you blend generative with your own uh, input and and how you learn it's it's beautiful it's a bit like I remember going to a factory when we're doing the exhibition for, for Ferrari and seeing how the human uh, and the robot work together and there's a time relationship that is really beautiful to watch. And I think it's kind of a metaphor for how we have to learn to work. Um, and us, in our roles here, I think our job is, is to, to be able to understand those things. Of course, we're not going to be able to learn all of that, <laughs> but be able to commission uh, or to get the right type of technology and not get driven by it or consumed by it by it which is uh, which is what tends to happen a bit it's just like whatever is going on now I'm gonna use it isn't it yeah oh very good well look I think that will be the note that we end on there's obviously huge amounts we can talk about with logos and I'm sure we'll return to this topic on the podcast again but for now we'll leave it there huge thanks to Lisa Marina and Adam for all your thoughts 
And thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe to Creativity Sucks to be alerted when the next episode drops. And obviously, feel free to give us a like or a share too. All right. Thanks very much. Bye.